Good morning, Northwest Hills Community Church Online. Pastor Josh here. Wanted to welcome you to our service this morning. Yeah, it's a little bit different as we are in different places, but we are together learning the same thing, worshiping the same God. So it's kind of a fun, unique way to do this together. We have a sermon. We've got a couple of songs by Justin and a special guest, his wife, Windsor. So very much looking forward to that. Also wanted to remind you that this next Friday is Good Friday. It's going to be different because we don't have a service here, but we are putting together a service that you can watch online Friday. So be looking on our website for that. Be looking on our Facebook page. You can see a different link to that. Also, next Sunday, man, it's Easter already. It's pretty wild. But next Sunday is Easter. We will be having a live viewing of our service uh, being held on Facebook Live. You can get on there, watch it, and kind of comment and talk to each other while the service is going on. Also, you can just watch that in our normal avenues as well on our website uh, or a podcast. So hope you're doing well. If there's any needs that you have, please, please, please connect with us, call us, email us. Uh, uh, if you're not part of our family Facebook page, I would just really encourage you get on there, just see how you might be able to participate and engage at a level that's a little bit different than just receiving emails. We would love to hear from you. Hope you're doing well. Enjoy the service. Good morning, Northwest Hills family. So good to be with you again for another Sunday service. Uh, this week, I'm joined by my wife, Windsor, uh, which is really fun, and I'm just super excited to get to uh, bring these songs to our congregation this morning. Uh, we're just going to sing three more songs like we did last week. So would you sing along with us? The lyrics will be on screen. Um, and let's praise our God. separate us you are for me what 
plans for me are good I know you hold my future and my hope your promises never fail your promises never fail your promises never fail your promises never fail you go before i know that you've even gone to win my war you come back with the head of my enemy you come back and you call it my victory oh
Thank you so much for worshiping with us, church, allowing us to serve and sing along with you. It's been an honor to sing these praises to our God. I pray that you be encouraged as he is honored and praised this morning. Pastor Gary, coming at you live with a mustache, a microphone, and a message, and the message is this. Youth group is still meeting online every single week. High school is meeting on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock p.m. on Instagram Live. Middle school is meeting on Sunday nights at 7 o'clock also on uh, Facebook Live. And then afterwards, we're breaking out into community groups and having amazing conversations on Zoom. If you're a student that's in those age ranges and you want to be involved, if you're a parent that has a student that you want to be involved, this is the perfect time to get involved. You can sit at home, log on to your screen, and we would invite you to be part of our community. We're also going through a Bible reading plan, the middle school and high school separately on the YouVersion app. If you would like information about that, if you want the link, just send me a text, send me an email, invite me on the Bible app. We'd love to have you part of that. Guys, I am so excited to worship with you today. I'm even more excited for when you get to meet in person again someday. It's going to be wild. I love you guys. Peace. Well, good morning, Northwest Hills Community Church Online. Pastor Josh Karstensen here. Uh, it is, again, it's another unique day. It's another unique season. I am preaching once again to our children's pastor, Kurt, right here, and in the back, Justin. But most importantly, I'm opening up the Word of God for all of us. Um, all of us, I'll be watching this um, live with a lot of you Sunday morning um, as we're going to be posting kind of a pre-recorded video. But here we go. We will be in Romans 12. Uh, our church, we have been uh, in a study in the book of Romans since the beginning of the year. And it's, it's really pretty remarkable how God knew exactly where we would be. Um, as we started this series, obviously, you and I had no idea that I'd be preaching to an empty building and that we'd all be in our homes um, kind of doing church a very different way. But God knew, uh, and God knew that we would be building on this foundation um, through chapters 1, 2, 3, all the way through 11 to where we are today in 12. And I, I think this word is absolutely perfect for us. So I'm very much looking forward to it. So if you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead, uh, turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, I do read from the English Standard Version, so if you're on a phone or an app, uh, feel free to pick uh, English Standard Version. Uh, before we get in the text, though, I do want to share uh, just a little bit of a, a confession uh, from me. I, I've been feeling perhaps a little bit guilty as uh, the last couple weeks where um, like I, I believe that God knows me. He knows me well. He knows what I could handle, and this whole kind of a shelter-in-place thing is really hard for me. It's hard for my personality. Um, but I have been, in a lot of ways, living off the fumes of, of a recent trip that my wife and I had. Um, so earlier uh, in the month, about a month ago, really, the, the universe collided and aligned just perfectly. So where on March 2nd, uh, my wife and I left um, for seven days. We had a fabulous trip. Uh, we had no kids. Uh, we actually went with... Uh, two of our best friends, uh, a really, really close friend of mine from junior high and one of Megan's close friends from elementary school. Uh, we met up for a week and just had uh, an amazing time, just a fabulous trip together. And I really believe that God knew that my soul needed that. He knew that I would need kind of that fuel to, to get me through this time of isolation. And so I just appreciate that. But I know a lot of us didn't have that a month ago. And uh, so I'm just, my, my heart is for you, especially if you're like me and you love getting out and about and we're kind of in the season, we're all locked down. But I'm just, I'm thankful for that. But beyond that, um, I, I want to share two things from that trip, uh, two things that I, I believe that God was kind of using uh, and kind of just want to share uh, just a couple of those things with you real quick. The first thing is just really my love for you. Um, and what I mean by that is on our trip on Saturday, so we left, it was a Monday to Monday type trip. And on Saturday, true story, I told Megan, I said, hey, I think we could probably change our flights and get home uh, to be with everyone at church uh, by tomorrow uh, because I genuinely love being here with our whole church. True story. 
Uh, my wife says, well, I'm not sure that that's the best thing for our family at the moment. It's good to have some rest. So needless to say, we didn't come back. And, you know, our plan, we came back uh, on Monday and the, the plan was just, we'll come back. We'll, we'll get uh, going. Life is normal. Uh, we'll be back at church the following Sunday. Well, Thursday, Kate Brown made her announcement that uh, there'll be no groups gathering of more than 250 people. So that got kiboshed, and a month later, here we are, still not having church. So I say all that to say that even while I was gone and church was going on here, I wanted to be here, um, and I, I love this church. I love you guys. I love our gatherings. Um, so uh, God is doing something in my heart there as well. But uh, the other thing I want to share is, is a conversation that I had that I will never, ever forget. And I wish more than anything that you were sitting here because I want to see your expressions uh, on your faces as I'm about to share this story because it's a story that's quite vivid. It's a story that's, um, that was, it's just a conversation that, again, I will never forget. So it's the, the last kind of night uh, that we're in uh, on our trip and it's just my wife and I, our friends had left at this point and uh, each night we kind of went to the uh, hot tub. And so on this night, we're kind of cruising down and the area by the pool has two hot tubs pretty close to each other. And so we get down there and one of the hot tubs uh, has a whole bunch of people in it and the other one only has uh, one couple in it. So we're like, well, let's just go to the one with only one couple. So we get down there, uh, we jump in the hot tub and, and we're there for a couple minutes. And after a couple minutes, um, three guys uh, kind of stroll up. Uh, these guys are in their early, 30, early 40s really. Uh, looking like they're having a good time, looking like they were probably in a frat together at some point a number of years ago. But as they're rolling up, one of the guys yells out, he goes, this looks like the fun hot tub. It's not full of a bunch of old people like that hot tub over there. And I'm just saying, you got to be kidding me. Like, you can't say that. Like, that's so embarrassing. These people can obviously hear you. What are you doing? So I'm kind of just like, oh my goodness, who is this guy? What's happening right now? Um, the next thing that this guy says is he's getting in this hot tub. He goes, man, this is, is going to be a hot, hot tub. And he gets in this hot tub, I kid you not, in a zebra print Speedo. And we're just going, oh boy, like this is going to be a good time. Wow, I, I am very much looking forward to this conversation. Where is this going to go? And so we start talking. It's kind of going back and forth. We're talking for a few minutes. And after a couple minutes... Uh, three women come down, and they're um, the wives of these three guys, and, um, and we're having a good time. It's just, just a couple minutes after they get there, and then the inevitable question came up, which is always awkward in a situation like this. The question comes up, what do you do for work? And I'm thinking, oh man, this is going to be an absolute just killjoy party-ending conversation right here. I say, well, I'm a pastor, and the reaction that I got was so far from anything that I ever could have imagined. They go, no way. That's incredible. You're a pastor? No, no way. The very next question, I'm not joking, the very next question is by uh, one of the women, and she says, what do you think about gay people? I was like, wow, okay. I was not anticipating that to be the very next question. Um, so I looked at her and I said, well, what do you mean? What do I think of them? I, I love gay people. And she goes, well, well, what do you think God thinks of them? I said, well, I, I think God loves all people. I think God loves gay people, regardless of um, kind of where they are in life. And, and she kind of kept pushing me and pushing me. She goes, well, do you think it's wrong? I said, um, well, um, and then she interrupts me and she goes, well, like, show me in the Bible where Jesus says that it's wrong. Like, show me, can you, can you get your Bible and show me the exact text where Jesus says this is wrong? Because I have a daughter uh, in her early 20s who uh, has same-sex attraction. She is in a monogamous relationship with another woman. And I want to know, do you think that God thinks this is wrong? Show me where you think that this is wrong. And wow, we, just, we had um, what I thought was a pretty good conversation. It was a, it was a challenging but good conversation. Um, it wasn't super long, and she kind of, uh, you know, she kind of moved on, and she went and sat with some of the other women, but this conversation started a really like an hour-long conversation with these uh, other three guys. 
Um, it turns out that all of them had a background in the Latter-day Saints, uh, kind of what's formerly called uh, Mormonism. Um, they had a background in there, and one of them was someone who was still attending church on a regular basis, although confessed that he really had nothing to do with the theology, uh, their doctrine, didn't believe any of that, but was still a regular attender. One of them was pretty, uh, pretty apathetic, really uh, did not go to church anymore, uh, wasn't really against it, wasn't really for it. Uh, and then one of them, uh, my friend in the zebra print Speedo, was adamantly against anything religious, any belief in a God whatsoever. But we had this conversation, and this conversation uh, really kind of hinged on one giant idea. This idea of um, faith and works. Um, this idea of how good or how bad can a person be and still go to heaven. I'm, I'm literally, I'm not making this up. This was, uh, a, our, this was a conversation that we had for, I, I would say, somewhere around an hour. And if you have ever been in a hot tub for a long time, it's like you get really hot and then you have to sit on the edge and you have to go in and you have to sit on the edge. And, and we're having this long conversation, but it's hinging upon this big idea of how good or how bad you have to be in order to go to heaven. Now, from their perspective, um, they were talking about the concept of heaven existing with multiple levels. And depending upon how good you are, depending upon your behavior, you can earn your spot in a higher degree to heaven. And if you um, live a certain way that is displeasing to God, in a way that is sinful, uh, then you cannot go to heaven um, if you go past a certain point. And I was arguing, really from a Christian worldview, a Christian perspective, uh, which is all about um, faith. I was talking about how the only way to get to heaven, and we don't have different layers of heaven, we have one, and the only way to get to heaven is by faith in Jesus Christ. It's irrelevant of my behavior. And I will remember this picture for the rest of my life. Um, uh, I will remember this guy's response when I said that. And I said it pretty firmly. I said, no, it has nothing to do with behavior. My acceptance into heaven is only through faith in Christ. And the guy in the zebra-printed Speedo He's probably two feet away from my face, throws up his arms, and he says um, something to the effect of this. He says, if it is faith that saves you and faith alone, then why not live any way that you want to live? And I had to laugh in my brain. I'm literally going like, that's the exact argument of Paul in Romans chapter 6. Like, that's literally what he says. And that's what this guy was saying. He's saying, how can you say that it's faith that saves you? Then what you do with your life really has no bearing on anything whatsoever. And it's really a pretty fascinating question. And it's a question that whether you're like someone who goes to church regularly or you're someone who really doesn't set foot into church at all should really wrestle with at some point in your life. What does our works, what does our behavior, what does our kind of ethical way that we live, what does that have to do um, with our salvation? Why follow the rules of the Christian life, if you will? Why live out the Christian moral ethic? It's a very good question. It's a very important question. It's a, it's a question that Paul really wrestles through and it's, it's a question that we have to get at today, particularly when we open up Romans chapter 12. Because now in chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, we make a major shift in the book of Romans all towards our behavior. We're going to look at behavior. But in order to, to look at behavior, you have to have a firm foundation of 1 through 11. Why do we behave a certain way? So I'll explain why Paul talks about that after we get into Romans 12. So I'm going to um, read all of Romans chapter 12. Um, I haven't actually done that in our study yet. I haven't read an entirety of a chapter, but this is a shorter chapter, and really to kind of get the full picture of what Paul is explaining in terms of Christian ethical moral living, uh, I think it's important that we see the whole chapter at once. Now last week, I did ask that you would stand. Um, it felt weird, honestly, because I watched the video and I stood in my living room and that felt really awkward. So I'll just say, um, put yourself in a posture um, where you can receive right now, where you can receive from God's Word, whether that's just sitting on your couch, whether that's closing your eyes, um, whatever it is. Maybe it's standing for you, but where we receive these words, um, the very words from God, starting in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. He says this, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members, not, the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So from a bird's eye view, uh, we see Paul giving uh, really the really prescription of how to live as a Christian. These are what we might simply refer to as the rules, the moral Christian ethic. He talks about things like how um, to have a right understanding of who we are as individuals before God. He talks about the fact that we all have specific gifts, how we have different talents, how God has kind of wired us to be able to use these gifts to love, to serve, to care for each other. He talks about the posture that we should have towards each other. And he talks about how we should treat people outside the church, and way more than just outside the church, people who we completely disagree with and people who we would might consider enemies. And it would be easy to look at this chapter and to think through like, okay, here's, here's the rules. I need to do this. I need to live that way. I, I need to follow these things. It would be really easy for, for any of us, maybe as parents, to kind of just give your kid this list of rules and say, okay, if you're a Christian, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And God sees this is good, and he sees this is good, and he sees this is good. The kind of bigger question behind all this, though, is, is why? Why would I live this way? Why would I follow all these rules? Why does it seem like a bad idea just to open right up to Romans 12 and say, if you want to be a Christian, this is how you should live? Why does that seem wrong? Why does that not seem appropriate? You know, what's the why behind all of this? Should I do all this so that um, I can get to heaven someday? Should I do all this so that uh, God will love me? Should I do all this so that my life will go well, right? Should I do all this so that I will have strong relationships? Should I do all this so that I'll have inner peace? Should I do all this so I'll just be a good neighbor? Why should I do any of this? To answer the big why question, and it's really important that we do answer this why question, we have to understand chapters 1 through 12. You can't start with chapter 12 if you don't understand verses 11, which is why Paul starts chapter 12 with one word. He says the word therefore. In chapter 1, he starts, or in verse 1, sorry, he says, I appeal to you therefore. Other translations literally start with the word therefore. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Therefore, that giant therefore is all going back to kind of the nature and character of who God is and who I am, right? So if you look at everything that we learned from chapters 1 through 11, what is that all about? That's all about saying who God is. God is an infinitely holy, perfect God. And who am I? I and the rest of mankind are people who have rejected God. We have either done one of two things. We've either said, God, I reject your existence 
or I actively rebel against the things that I myself even preach towards others not to do. And those two things combined separate us from God. They separate us from a holy, perfect, incredible God, both now and forever. But again, as we learned through our study of this, God didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us in our separation from him through our rebellion against him. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And what was that? That was his life, his perfect life, his death, imputing to us his right standing before God. So we get that. And the proper response for that, for those who have faith in God, is to say, okay, I'll give you my life. Right? That's the only reasonable response. And and that's the beauty of uh, verse 1 in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, because God's done all this stuff, your spiritual worship, that word spiritual worship right there, it's actually really poorly translated. It's not spiritual worship. The better rendering of that word is actually um, your reasonable response. Reasonable. The only reasonable thing that you can do, if God did all this stuff for you, would then give your life to living a certain way. We've got to get that order right. Um, it's not I live a certain way to be right with God. See, the conversations that I was having with these people in this hot tub was, well, how, what's the standard by which we need to live in order to be right with God? What's the standard in which I need to live to, to, um, to merit, to earn salvation, to earn this place in heaven someday? Will God love me if? But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel flips all that. And the gospel says you start with understanding who you are in Christ You start with understanding that God loves you, that he's poured out his mercy on you, therefore you live a certain way. See, one is motivated by fear. It's fear that says, if I don't live a certain way, I'm not going to be accepted by God. If I do these certain things, maybe God won't love me. If I have this lifestyle, if I do whatever that isn't pleasing to God, then he will reject me. That is not the gospel. The gospel is God God loved me, he rescued me while I rejected him. And through his mercy and his grace, he gave me the cross. And my response then is not out of fear, but it's out of love that says, okay, this is how I should live. So what is this behavior? Um, We're going to look at a lot of this behavior over the next few weeks. Uh, This behavior that he clearly describes in chapter 12, I mean, there's so much, there's so many imperatives. You should do this, you should do this, you should do this. Again, out of a response of love, not out of a motive of fear, but out of love. What are these things? The first thing is, uh, is a totally redefined new way of thinking. He says this. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's, it's a totally new way of thinking. It's not thinking the way that the world thinks. The world thinks a certain way. The world wants you to think a certain way as well. It says these are your value systems. This is how you should treat people. This is how you should think about things. And the gospel says um, don't follow the pattern of this world. And Jesus completely turns that upside down. He turns that upside down in a couple of different places. The first thing that we see in, in John 13, Jesus says, I have a new commandment for you. Love one another as I have loved you. So this new way of thinking is loving people as Christ loved us. And how is that? He gave his life for us. In uh, Matthew 22, um, someone comes up to Jesus and he says, what's the most important thing? Um, How do you summarize all the works of the Old Testament? And Jesus says, here's the most important thing you need to know. You need to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you need to love your neighbor as yourself. What does the world say? Does the world tell us to love our neighbor as ourself? Or does the world say, look out for you? Maybe the world says, love your family as yourself. Maybe the world says, love your friends well, but Jesus says, love your neighbor. Love those around you. Love those in your community. Love those on your street. What a word for us in the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of this coronavirus, love your neighbor as yourself. And when you do that, this is what Paul says, which is so brilliant because it's a question that so many of us wrestle with. He says, this is how you know that you are living in God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You ever have that question? God, what do you want me to do with my life? You know, maybe you're in high school right now and and you're about to graduate. Maybe you're in college and you're about to start kind of this new uh, phase of your life. Maybe you've got young kids. Maybe maybe right now you're you're figuring out, man, I, I might need to think about a new career. God, what's your will for my life? 
Well, the most fundamental will that God has for us, the, the most important thing that he says, is he says what we read in verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So when you have a renewed mind, a renewed mind that says other people are just as valuable as me. And then he talks about how to live in that will. How do I live in the will of God? And that's what we get in Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at three different areas that Paul very clearly says this is God's will. So the first thing that Paul tells us is to have a right view of ourselves. Uh, we see this in verse 3. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith God has given you. So as a Christian, we're to have a right view of ourself. Um, sometimes some of us struggle with feeling like we're, um, we're better than everyone else. There's an arrogance about the Christian at times. Because we do have a right standing before God. It's pretty wild to think like the king of the universe loves me um, for me. And, and that can uh, have a tendency towards putting you in a position of arrogance. But Paul says very clearly, do not um, have a, a view of yourself that's higher than you should. But have a view of yourself with sober judgment. Uh, meaning have a right understanding of yourself. A right understanding of, of yourself that says, well, you're not saved because you're incredible. You're saved because of my mercy. The other side of that is some of us as, as Christians have too much of a low view of ourselves. We struggle with insecurities. And, but Paul says, no, don't think too high. Don't think too low. It's kind of this tightrope that we have to walk. Um, it's one that I would say the best word is just walk in confidence. Not in arrogance, not in insecurity, but in confidence. Confidence that the king of the universe loves you. So have that right view of who you are. The next thing that he talks about, and this is where I... I, I just can't help but just say, God, thank you for giving us this word right now, specifically this week. He talks about our position as a church and our function as a church, um, how we are to care for one another, how we all have a unique position in a church. Uh, we read these words, they're perfect. He says, for as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So right now, obviously, we're not all together in a room. We're doing a service. I'm looking at a camera right now. You're sitting somewhere. Maybe you're out for a run right now listening to this on a podcast. But here's the deal. There, there's a couple different aspects of what it means to be a part of a church. And this service is one aspect. It's an important aspect. It's one of our major asks here in terms of our vision, being a part of Northwest Hills. We ask that we come on Sunday. It's so important. Um, the gospel needs to be proclaimed. The word of God needs to, ta to be taught. We need to gather and we need to sing and say, God, you are so good. We need you. That is so important. But just showing up, just participating in a service, just listening to this service at home right now, is not everything when it comes to being a part of a church. This is not the total picture of what it looks like to be the body. And it's not a mistake that Paul uses this analogy of a body. This is one part of it. This is a mouth that's speaking right now. But the body needs much more than a mouth. The body needs much more than just one gathering on Sundays. We need much more than just a podcast we're listening to when I'm out riding my bike or when I'm walking my dog or when I'm waking up early in the morning doing a workout, whatever. The body of Christ needs each other. And every single person who is a part of our church, Paul would say, has something to offer someone else. And so, yes, we want to be a church that gathers. Yes, we want to be a congregation that meets on Sundays. But right now, guess what? We can't do that. And more than just right now, we cannot be a fully functioning Romans 12, Christ-exalting church by simply coming and listening. Because God has equipped every one of us with something. I'm not going to read through these, um, through these lists of gifts, but there's a number of gifts that God has specifically given people. And some people say that you have one gift or a couple gifts and you have those all the time. Other people talk about, well, God gives gifts different times in different seasons depending upon what the needs are. The point is that we need each other. That you have something for someone else. And, the, and really the primary way that we 
kind of live this out is community groups here at Northwest Hills. It's committing your life to another smaller group of people so that when you have needs, you, your needs can be met by other people. When other people have needs, they can be met by you. And you can say, guess what? You lost your job via coronavirus right now. Let me help you. Right? For some of you right now who are way overextended because your job didn't slow down, if anything, it ramped up. You may be saying, I need extra help. Can you pray for me? Can you support me in this way? Could you do some grocery shopping for me? Well, we can't do that if we're a thousand people and just a small staff all relying on a staff. That's not how the body works. The body works when we're broken up into smaller groups of people where you have someone that you can call. And yeah, we're doing what we can to call people and love and check in on people, but guys, we need to be a church that's interdependent upon one another, and that happens in smaller groups. And here's the wild thing. As a staff, and, and myself, and I've been talking to a couple of the elders, we're trying to think ahead. What's going to happen in the next couple months? You know, as we try to get back to life as normal, if you will, what's it going to look like when we're only able to meet in kind of groups of 25, groups of 50, groups of 100, groups of 200, groups of 400. We still won't be able to meet as a church, so how do we have smaller groups of people? We might be having church in homes. Like, as, as your community groups, like, it may be June, and we may be back to normal church, but normal may be for a season, maybe for a month, maybe for six months, where you're in each other's homes, you're listening to a sermon, which is a good, proper, right thing to do. You're worshiping together. But then afterwards, you're saying, okay, turn the computer off. How are you doing, Cindy? How can I care for you? Because listen to how Paul describes how we're supposed to love and care for each other in these smaller groups. Here's what he says, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And that doesn't just happen in this room. That happens in these smaller groups. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints Seek to show hospitality. And there's a full list of things before that also showing how we can meet needs for each other. But he talks about meeting the needs of those who are in need. He talks about being constant in prayer for each other. He talks about hospitality. Like, yeah, it's one thing for us to be hospitable and create this space where we can all meet on a Sunday morning, but hospitality goes far more than just this. Hospitality is us opening up our homes, opening up our dinner tables to that smaller group of people saying, hey, enjoy. And it's not entertainment. It's not, hey, come to my house, and, and I've got just HDTV, just picture-perfect home, and everything's in perfect order, and my kids are all cute and all lined up. It's genuine hospitality, which says, again, I've said this so many times, I genuinely care about your soul. Tell me what's going on with you. And we might be moving into a season where there might have to be a whole lot more of that going on. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. We might be in that season right now. To be a Christian is to participate in Sundays. Yes and amen. And this is so important. But it's also to belong to people. We need each other. Paul makes that so clear. The last way that we're supposed to live in God's will is in how we treat people who are not in the church. And, and, beyond way, and, and way, way beyond just people who are not in the church, people that we completely disagree with and people that we consider our enemies. And you can read this again on your own in verses 14 through 21. I don't have the time to break this all down, um, but we do see uh, very clearly how our posture should be. We're not to be a people who repay evil for evil. We're not to be a people who, who take vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, to get this right, you, you got to understand, he's not talking about governments here. He's not talking about just war. He's talking about individuals. So what's our response as individuals? He makes this very, very clear in the last thing that he says, and I think it's beautiful, and I think it summarizes everything before that. He says this, he says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now think about that in the middle of this pandemic. And I know it's early on, and I know there's all kinds of speculations about where things might go. You know, some people are thinking, man, in, in three more weeks, we're going to be all back to normal, and everything's going to be just, just like it was before. But a lot of people are saying, you know, this might get a lot worse than it is. 
And we might be in a spot where there is a bit of scarcity that we're not used to as 21st century American Christians, where there is some scarcity. And what evil might look like in these upcoming few months, upcoming year, I don't know. And again, I'm not trying to be some crazy person thinking that the end of the world is here. I don't know. But I think it could be easy to, to put ourselves in kind of a hoarding mindset right now, in, in kind of this mindset that says, like, how am I going to take care of my family right now? How am I going to take care of just me? Right? How am I going to take care of just my kids? My kids are the most important thing. Right? How am I going to just gather as many resources as I can? I need to go to Costco right now, and I just need to load up everything for me. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. So what does good look like right now? Don't be overcome with fear, but overcome fear with good. I think there's a lot of ways, a lot of unique things that as we look back, I think we're going to look back on this season. I think one of the best questions that we're going to be able to ask ourselves is, what did I do as a follower of Jesus? Like when there was need, when there was genuine need, and we're still trying to figure out what are those real needs right now? How did I help meet those needs? How did I overcome evil with good? Where did my mind go when I was scared? Did it go towards fear or did it go towards trust? As we conclude um, this chapter and as we conclude this idea of how to live in God's will, I want to just ask two very, very simple questions. And the first one kind of goes back to that initial conversation that I was having with those guys in the hot tub. And that is, what is your motives in how to live out your Christian faith? Because I think sometimes it can be very, very easy just to say, okay, this is how I should live. I know how I should live. I know I should do this, and I should do this, and I should do this. But why? Maybe you're getting tired of, those, of, of living a certain way, and, and maybe the why hasn't been super clear lately. Do you have your why crystal clear? Your why needs to begin with who you are before the Lord. The why needs to begin with understanding that Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And the funny thing is, it's, it's actually Palm Sunday right now. Next week's going to be Easter. What a better time to think about Jesus entering into this week, preparing for giving his very life for us, where we say, God, you gave your life for me. The only reasonable thing that I can do is give my life for you. The last thing that I would say is, um, we're in a, a really, really unique time. We know that. We keep saying that. Um, and I think one of the best parts about this time is that it's really kind of a, a time to say, you know what? Pause on everything. Let's just put a giant pause on everything. Kind of a giant reset and evaluate my life. When I look at my life, am I living the way that a gospel-centered Christian should live? When I look at my priorities, when I look at where I'm spending my time, when I look at that list of, am I using my gifts? God, what, do you, what have you blessed me with? What are the specific things that I have that other people in my community need, that other people in my small group need, that other people in my church need? What opportunity do I have? I think one of the unique things about this whole situation, there's kind of two things. I think one of them is, first of all, uh, two months ago, if you were to call anyone and just say, hey, how, how's life going? I think the primary response that most people give at any given moment is, oh man, it's so busy. I have so much going on. And I think we have a moment right now to say, you know what, maybe we're not as busy as normal. Maybe some of the extracurriculars that we would normally participate in just aren't there right now. And we're able to kind of strip it all back and say, okay, at the core of my life, am I living it for the gospel? I think the other thing is, and this is a conversation that I've had with many pastors over the last multiple years, I'm asked this question regularly, and this is a question that pastors discuss. What's the biggest hindrance to the gospel in your town? What's the biggest hindrance to people coming to faith? And, and very, very regularly, whether it's come out of my mouth or whether I've heard it in other places, people will say the biggest hindrance to the gospel in a place like Corvallis is people's lack of felt need for God in their life. Because they have everything. I've got everything. I've got my job. I've got my, I've got my family. I've got the vacation. I've got the time. I've got the resources. I've got my health. Well, what happens if we don't have all those things that we once had? I think it's very possible that in a time like this, God might be saying, wake up. You might be experiencing some real need. 
and that need might go beyond just something that you can supply. And I think perhaps God might be doing something in our town and in our city and in our nation and around the world where we might possibly at one point have to look up and say, God, you know what? I don't have everything that I need. There is scarcity right now. I am scared. There is death. Maybe something bigger than me exists. Maybe I need something more than um, the things that I can supply. And God, maybe that's you. Maybe you're real. Maybe you have a plan in all this. Maybe you are good. Maybe you have rescued me. Just maybe, just maybe, God, you are doing something incredible. So as we close our time together here in Romans 12, I would just ask you very simply to say, God, am I living for you? As we look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus, am I obeying you out of a heart that says, thank you for loving me first and for giving me Christ? Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your gospel. Um, thank you that we were able to spend so much time in Romans chapter 1 through 11. Before we got to any of the behavior, before we got to how we're supposed to live, God, we got to why. We got to the fact that you explained very, very clearly, God, that I am far from you. That if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for the cross, that I would have no hope. But through the cross, through what we're about to celebrate next week in Easter, I have an eternal hope in you. And Lord, my response, the only reasonable thing that I can do with my life is to live for you. God, I don't live out of fear, but I live out of love. I pray that we would be a people who live out of that love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.